Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. All right, we have coming up here shortly. I feel like we might have maybe spawned this discussion around the country. We had a discussion yesterday about if it was a five-year deal for Bryce Harper, how much would you go? And Bob Nightingale from USA Today went on KNBR sometime yesterday and sort of half-reported what the Giants have offered and what the deals look like on the table for Bryce Harper right now. So we can dive into that and put ourselves in the shoes of the Twins front office. I know they're not going to sign him, but if we ran the Twins front office, Mackie and Judd with Rami, but let's, uh, let's go to Tim in Tosa. And you are either a huge fan of The Bachelor like myself or... <laughs> Like Rami and Judd, you're going to make fun, and either one is fine. Go ahead. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Rami. So we'll, Thank we'll, you, Tim. Okay. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So so I asked my wife, who's the best one so far this year? She says Hannah. Which Hannah? Now, oh, God, I don't know. I could, <laughs> my, my point was, my point was, I used to sit down with my lovely wife and a glass of wine, and I would watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette for years. And I finally had to hang up my bachelor shoes because it is so scripted. It's worse than a soap opera. And uh, like Judd or somebody said earlier, somebody is always the bad guy that everybody hates. And somebody always goes over to his house unannounced. And it's just after about season after season after season, I said, I can't even watch this anymore. So you're out. So, Tim, you're out on The Bachelor. I am out because it is the same. Only the names change. Nothing else changes. And I finally said, this is so unreal. It's like watching The Young and the Restless. That's precisely why I watch Bite it. Bite your I tongue. Why and is fantastic. I will say that when her and I started dating I, in college, I watched The Young and the Restless for a long time. So what's the problem here, Tim? I don't, I don't see the problem. They, they, Tim, they played in. right into your wheelhouse. My, my only point is that The Bachelor is now just, it's the same. I mean, it's always the same thing. It's, the names change, the faces change, but it's the same scripted show every time. And after about <laughs> 10 seasons... I just had to hang it up, boys. So, Tim, you're out on the, the Bachelor and the NBA. You're out on, you're <laughs> out on both. <laughs> and, I, and I will quick say that she also wrote me into Vanderpump Rules. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Tim. 
And You're our guy. I've been roped into that. Jack's, well. Jack's for you, Tim. Yeah. I love talking about Jack's. I remember talking the other night. I'm not a big fan of Fat Jacks. <laughs> I like it. I like where you're going. She probably should have been fired years ago, but I will say the last time that my wife and I went to L.A. for a trip, we spent Sunday night at dinner at Sir, and she was on cloud nine wow. getting, to meet, getting to meet and pose with a picture with Peter. Oh, the P- Peter cut his hair, you know. Peter yeah. doesn't have the long locks anymore. For the eight people so, uh, in the audience who have any idea what my girlfriend thinks I about. look like Peter, which I think is the only reason you that do we're actually. Together. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But your Rami hair's long. Little, Rami has a little Peter in him, so I may have taken a shot in my. Uh, <laughs> I may have taken a shot to my manhood, but luckily, only a handful of people in Minneapolis know who I am. Thanks for the call. Does too. Rami have a little? It. Does Rami have a little Peter in him, or is it just cold outside? <laughs> Robbie just went swimming. <laughs> Little Peter will be fine. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. I just looked up the Hannahs while Tim was talking. There's Hannah G Hold and on. Hannah B. Hold yeah, on. Hannah G hasn't def- blinked in five years. I definitely have a favorite of the two. I have a favorite Hannah. This here, uh, Judd, as you take another upside-down look yep. at the ladies of The Bachelor, that's Hannah G. Okay. This right here is Hannah B. Oh, it's not, not even close. You, which one are you? Uh, the the latter. Han, Hannah B. See, I like Hannah G. No. I'm a Hannah G guy. It's between you and me. <laughs> right there. <laughs> Hannah B looks like, uh, I don't know, your typical like uh, female news reporter. Yeah. Uh, Hannah G is more of like a cute down-home like girl next door look to her. Yeah, I feel like if Hannah G and Tony Dungy had a blinking contest or a staring contest, it would go all weekend. <laughs> Is she one of those? Yeah. Where her eyes never close. They just don't. They never get dry. Jonathan wants to leave like, so bad right now. I feel like as the producer of this show, I have failed on a monumental level. I'd leave for five seconds to do the podcast of the first hour, and what are we talking about? Oh, man. Oh, I feel- Why is she All screaming right. here? All right. Enough of this. And I love this show, but enough that. of this. Okay. Bob Nightingale, noted baseball insider from USA Today, went on with Gary Radnett, the and Gary and Larry show. number 30. He is. Yes. Yeah. And this is this is the quote from Bob Nightingale. The Giants don't want to give a 10-year contract to Bryce Harper. Nobody does, but the Giants certainly don't want to. You're not going to saddle a brand new executive in Farhan Zaidi and say, "Here, you got a $300 million contract on the books. You can't do much with it otherwise." What their game plan is is they'll probably offer a 5 to 6-year deal at good money, $30 million a year or so. Or probably more even, uh, probably more even, just to try and get him and say, you know what? Do you want a short-term contract to come to San Francisco, or do you want a long-term contract to go to Philadelphia? Uh, Harper was reportedly offered a ten-year, three hundred million dollar deal from the Nationals at the beginning of the offseason, and he turned that down. I wonder if there's anything like that on the table right now. According to Nightingale, ask, yeah. the Nationals have fallen out of the sweepstakes for Harper, and so have the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, right now, I really do think it's the Giants and the Phillies, Nightingale said. It's a two-team race here. Okay. Does he say what the Phillies offer is? He doesn't. I think the Phillies offer is assumed to be long-term, though. And the, the Giants have come back with, we'll pay you really well short-term. But it might be 10 years and less than $300 million. That that's, it does, But he doesn't it's go into detail about what there. the Phillies are offering. That's my guess, right? But if we're talking about... 
you know, just to start the conversation, I get San Francisco is a much more appealing spot. It's a bigger market. It's ocean. You can hit home runs into the damn ocean for the next six years. He's from the West Coast too. But he, that yep, right from fi- Vegas, that the right field wall there in San Francisco is is not. It's not the easiest place for left-handed hitters to hit home runs. I mean, when they do, it's majestic and it splashes in the ocean, and that's great. But if I'm Bryce Harper, I'm looking at it and going. What does that stadium do to my numbers? Especially if I'm signing a four or five year deal and I, and I'm looking for another big deal once this is up. It's not an Albert Pujols type situation where you're getting that 10 year payday and you're set and you don't really have to worry about anything after that. I'm looking at it if I'm Bryce Harper and I'm going, that stadium could wreak havoc on my power numbers and I'm going to be looking for another mega contract in, in four or five years when I'm 29, 30 years old. Yeah. I just find it really interesting that there is a team, and, and I get it, the Giants, if you're Bryce Harper, and the Twins and the Giants offer you the same contract, you're going to the Giants. So that that's just the reality of, of this. Um, but if we're talking, let's say, a six-year deal for $30 million a year, that's... That's so much less than I would offer on a six-year contract to Bryce Harper. You're paying for ages 26 through 32. That's There's the prime. zero if chance any, he becomes a bad hitter over that stretch. If I am any team, I'm in. Yeah, any team, exactly. If if that's what it, it's going to be, and and my question comes back to: Are we just at at a point now where where free agency, as we knew it, and until a new CBA is in place, has just changed for the time being? And therefore, a shorter-term contract, a rich short-term contract, makes a ton of sense. And if that's the case, I'm in. If I'm the Twins, if I'm anybody, I'm in. My problem, my only problem with Machado and Harper when this process started was term. It wasn't money, it's term. So if you're now telling me if the, if the, if the Harper camp is willing to play ball with, with the Giants, I'm ducking in in a heartbeat and saying, I'll yeah. go better than I'll I'll do slightly better than that. I'll give you thirty five million a year if you're looking yes. at four or five year contracts and they're offering you thirty million a year. I'll give you a five year contract at thirty five million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Is there a phone ringing? Who's calling us? Okay. It's, it's destiny. It's <laughs> it's Scott Boris. It's not happening. <laughs> well, here's another n- a nugget from Bob Nightingale. He says the big thing I think is proximity. I think. The fact that it's an iconic franchise, the Giants, you got 40,000 fans a game, always electricity and buzz inside that stadium, and you can be the face of the franchise. You can be the modern-day Barry Bonds. Bonds meant so much to the Giants back then, and Harper wants to be that guy now. So I think it's a lot of things. I think the tradition of the organization and the fact that he's never won a playoff round, and this franchise won three World Series in five years, make it an appealing spot for uh, Bryce Harper. Okay, that's great. I'll give you $10 million more per year on a six-year deal Question than they for will. you guys. How, so if, if the Giants signed him tomorrow, how good are they right now? Because I didn't think that they were that competitive. I still don't think they that that catches up to the Dodgers in the NL West. That's, that would be my assumption, too. So the point being is... If you're going, if you're if your goal is to sign a short term rich deal and win a playoff round, the Giants, it's going to take some time. Now, I'm not saying the Twins are going to either, but if they're going to talk about the potential to be the the face of the Giants franchise and you're going to be a star and you're going to win playoff rounds, well, I think that's going to take some time to happen. There. Well, so so here's a good example too of the the Giants are thinking correctly. They're not thinking we're going to sign Bryce Harper to fix our franchise because th- this is a team that's lost about 90 games or more the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. So they're they're broken. Bumgarner's been hurt quite a bit, and they're going through this transition, and Buster Posey is getting older now. He's not hitting for power anymore, and so they're definitely a team in transition, and like Rami said, 
they're not on the Dodgers level with this. No. But it's a 26-year-old free agent. You can sign him. Let's say it's a six-year contract. You can sign him, and maybe you're not World Series ready for the first two years. But you put a bunch of butts in the seats. You're a lot better because you have him. Mm-hmm. And when you're ready to rock and you've filled in some of the other pieces to the puzzle, he's still only 28 years old. A lot of these free agents that we're talking $20, $30 million for, they're 30 or 31 when they hit the market. And then you have to make the decision. Are we really ready to go right now? And that's where I usually agree with the Twins logic in that sense that, yeah, okay, if you're signing a 29 or 30-year-old free agent or, a, or Dallas Keuchel is like 32 33 years old, okay, or 30, whatever, he's in his 30s. Yeah, you want to probably want to make sure that you're capitalizing on peak years when you're paying premium dollar. With Bryce Harper, it doesn't matter as much because he's still going to be in his prime three, four years from now. And th- this is not pitching, too. Like, this is not going to be... Pitchers always scare you, right? If they, they ha- haven't had Tommy John, you're afraid that they're going to have to have it at some point in time. If they have, you're concerned about the ramifications of that. But if we're talking about Bryce Harper... And the Boris camp is now saying we are fielding five-year offers. There is no reason. There is no reason not to at least pick up the phone and call him. Yeah. There's none. Kick the tires on it. Zero. I don't see and, how it hurts at and all. If and they, if they pick up the phone and you say, this is uh, uh, Derek Falvey, Minnesota Twins, and they start to laugh uncontrollably, they hang up, okay, at least you called. Well, what'd you lose? Zero. Nothing. Now, if it's a pitcher... I can go back and I can I can talk myself out, out of that phone call. But Bryce Harper, Machado, make the phone call. Yeah. You got to wonder, too, what – there's all kinds of other guys just sitting out there, the Craig Kimbrels and the Adam Jones. There's there's all these sort of B-level free agents when you compare them to Machado and, um, and Harper. And you, I, I'm sure the dominoes are going to fall quickly. The other nugget that came out right before we went on at 4 o'clock today – so Rawlings tweeted something out. Rami found this. Yeah. R- Rawlings oh. is wait, the official. Wait, 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 You've got to play the sounder. This is the ultimate in reckless. You <laughs> is can't. it reckless? It's a glove. Reckless speculation. I don't think it's as reckless as Judd does. It's somewhat reckless. It's... <laughs> I don't think it's at all reckless. I think it's them saying, we know what's happening and we're breaking this news. And maybe even in tandem with... <laughs> Manny but Machado. Here's what, here's what the tweet was. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> the official Rawlings Sports Twitter account sends a tweet out that says, check out Manny Machado's gloves for this season. Where do you think he's going to play this season? Is the black and white a sign? And it's all of Manny Machado's custom infield gloves, and they're all White Sox colors. There is no other team that could possibly be the sort of off-white, black, and red color combination that's on these gloves, and Machado is stitched into the thumb. So either this is a hoax, and it's April Fool's Day two months early, or Rawlings has a bunch of White Sox-themed Machado gloves. Now, could he have put in a bunch of orders for different teams, knowing that, well, I need to get my orders in. If if there's, if if there's I don't know who I'm playing for, and there's these seven teams in the mix, maybe I put I'm rich enough to put seven orders in with Rawlings? It's, it's too obvious a tease for me to buy in on it. I'll give you an example. A few years ago when I was working in Milwaukee, and it's funny you bring up April Fool's Day, it was it, it was April 1st, and we knew that the Bucks were going to be introducing new color scheme, new uniforms sometime in the near future. We knew that that announcement was coming. And on April 1st, they go, make sure, they sent out a tweet that said something along the lines of, make sure... You tune in at halftime tonight. 
big announcement coming, and it was a picture of Bango, their mascot, and Blaze, something in the background was Blaze Orange. And for a long time, a lot of Bucks fans, they wanted that Blaze Orange incorporated into the Bucks color scheme to tie in the hunting tradition of Wisconsin and your team mascot is a deer. So it's in some people's mind, a logical tie in Mm. to me, deer are the things you're killing when you go hunting. So I don't see why that makes sense, but I digress. So people were losing their minds. They were like, Oh my God, it's the blaze orange is going to be part of the bucks color scheme, blah, blah, blah. And I saw that and I went, guys, it's April 1st. And that is way too obvious a tease. Like if they were going to unveil their new color scheme, they wouldn't just put it out in a tweet saying, hey, tune in tonight. That's too obvious. And then sure enough, halftime that game, Bango comes out and he's doing a little dance and this box explodes and he jumps off of it. And or no, the box explodes. Bango jumps out of it and he's holding a banner that says April Fool's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so is Manny Machado going to jump out of this a Rawlings themed box? This is and- too obvious a tease. For it to be real. why? I mean, if you're just going to make it that obvious, just say Manny Machado, his side with the White Sox. You know what I mean? It's too obvious a tease for this for me to buy in. Instead, the Bucks went with the uh, brown cargo shorts and jerseys with flip-flops. <laughs> oh, the mecha look. The mecha look that they wear is just god-awful. <laughs> it's just absolutely terrible. Mackie and Judd with Rami on reckless. the all-new Score North it was reckless on 1500. On both your parts. I'm okay with that. Speculate. Oh, I'm fine with it. I told you. I encourage it. <laughs> uh, live from the TCL studio. Because the Vikings are on your mind. All the time. Not just during the season. Purple Daily. I don't feel like the Rams are that far from the Vikings. Like I don't feel like the gap on paper is so significant to where you go, oh my goodness, the Vikings could never be that. Why not? Like, aren't the Vikings supposed to be that? Like, if you go back a year ago with the investment in Kirk Cousins, with all the pieces coming back, Thielen and Diggs, with all of the defense. Defensive pieces. Aren't they supposed to be the Rams? What am I missing? Purple Daily on Score North. Scorenorth.com. Thanks, Jonathan. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North on 1500. Scorenorth.com. I'm the Rami in that equation. He's Judd Zolgad and Phil Mackie. And uh, NBA season, About we're about to go to the All-Star break. And this year, the breakout star in the NBA has, I think, been Giannis Adetokounmpo. He's been sort of emerging over the last few years, and now he's a legitimate MVP candidate. Last year was James Harden's year to bust out. Of course, LeBron commands much of the headlines in the NBA, and I feel like there is a guy who has fallen by the wayside when we talk about great NBA players, and I don't know why it is that we don't talk about Russell Westbrook. Everybody is talking about James Harden right now and his streak of scoring 30-plus points, and it's at, what, 30 games now? Yeah, and and it's quick aside. Uh-huh. They were up by, like, 17 points in the last three minutes. With yeah. three minutes to go, he had 22 points, and they're up by an amount that isn't, it's insurmountable. So he's just chasing the record at and that he, point. He just, he, he jacked up the final five shots for the Rockets to get to 30. So it's it doesn't surprise cool, you a bit. Which is actually, continue on your Russell Westbrook thing. Because well, those guys are pretty similar. While Russell Westbrook is having to do what he does for the Oklahoma City Thunder to win games. And in the meantime, he's making Paul George, who's a, a very good basketball player, but he's making him look like an MVP candidate because he commands so much attention and does so much to make to put Paul George in good spots to succeed. Russell Westbrook just did something that Wilt Chamberlain never did. He's now notched 10 straight triple-doubles. 
10 straight triple-doubles and is on pace to average a triple-double for the third straight season when nobody else had done it except for one guy in the history of this league. Yeah, Oscar he's Robertson, to, right? Yeah, yeah, and he's about to do it for the third straight year. And not just triple-doubles, but crazy good triple-doubles. These are Russell Westbrook's last 10 games. Points, rebounds, and assists. 29, 10, and 14. 23, 17, and 16. 13, 13, and 11. 23, 14, and 14. 14, 12, and 14. 22, 12, and 16. 16, 15, and 16. 15, 13, and 15. 21, 12, and 11. 21, 14, and 11. I mean, he is just filling up the box score night in Mm -hmm. and night out. And for some reason, he doesn't seem like a guy who we really talk about anymore as top NBA superstars. Here's the weird thing. And and I noticed this a couple of years back and I don't know why, but it's sort of it makes it e- even worse. It seems like this is a guy who we are at times looking to discredit. I think the first year that he got that he he averaged a triple double if I'm not mistaken the context or the talk was well yeah but he's he's purposely just trying to get rebounds or he's trying to do this he, so, he hunts them he definitely hunts triple double but it's but it's almost like to to Rami's point we not only sort of uh dismiss him at times but we almost try to discredit him for his success and I don't know why he's a all right here's my here's my two-sided take on this he definitely. I agree with Judd. It's it's easy to look at him and say, "All right, first of all, he obviously hunts triple doubles on a nightly basis. He's looking to get rebounds that don't necessarily need to be his, and and so the triple double thing has become almost just it's it's a novelty. It doesn't it doesn't mean that he's a a better player than anyone else because he averages more in each category. See, to me, I don't and I don't know how you discredit triple doubles. He's doing. He's literally doing everything that a player can do to help facilitate sure. wins. I think. I think because we saw Kevin Love hunt rebounds in games that didn't like he. Kevin Love's mission was to get double doubles, and he okay. broke. He broke the consecutive. That's awesome. But he would constantly get. He'd be out of position in certain. I'm not. Listen, my my stand. Russell Westbrook's one of the top five or ten players in the NBA. I think it's easy to look at him and say. He has a major lack of self-awareness in terms of he shoots five three-pointers a game and can't make a three. He's a terrible three-point shooter. He's a volume scorer, and he's out there as an energizer bunny with one gear, and it doesn't work well in seven-game series without Kevin Durant by your side in, in, in games in which the pace might go back and forth, in which you might need to find a different way. So, hold on. All of this is to say he's flawed. I could nitpick him. And I wish Andrew Wiggins would take notes from him. I, I I wish Andrew Wiggins would look at a guy like Russell Westbrook and say, you know what, boy, that guy's shorter than me. Russell West, Russell Westbrook is probably a little more athletic than Andrew Wiggins. I think he's probably the most athletic player in the NBA. But like both guys are super athletic. I know they play different positions. One guy's a better ball handler. Um, but if you put Russell Westbrook's motor inside Andrew Wiggins, forget about like whether there would still be flaws or whether there you could nitpick hunting triple doubles. Can you imagine the productivity? Like you would get, you would get triple doubles for one. And and Andrew Wiggins has never had one in his entire career. And Russell Westbrook has had ten consecutive. Do, and that's that's not the gap in talent necessarily. Why, it's the gap in motor. Why do we seem to to want to dismiss him? Because Russell I, Westbrook. Yes, because because he hasn't I, done anything. I what agree. Is he, what has he ever? What Kevin? Without Kevin Durant, what has he done? But Does so, he deserve to be put on a pedestal other than? 
regular season box score? Statistically, probably yes. Okay, but but and and I would say it's because he strikes me as not being a super likable guy. But there's a lot of guys in this league who, who you could question. Okay, do I like that guy or not? It does. It does seem sort of weird that in a era where we celebrate individual accomplishments to a degree where where we do put those guys on on high that Westbrook doesn't get more credit. And for some reason he has this tag of selfish player, selfish ball player and I I feel like a lot of people just assumed that when he and Kevin Durant couldn't coexist in Oklahoma City because of some of the things that Judd just talked about, he can be a, a not likable fella depending on what you consider to be likable and not likable. I like Russell Westbrook's personality myself, but I I can see what rubbed some people the wrong way. I think a lot of people just assume that the problem between Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook was Russell Westbrook. And I don't know that that's a fair conclusion to jump to. I don't know that Kevin... It's probably not now. Exactly. If Kevin Durant Durant wasn't in Golden State winning rings and acting the way that he's been acting, he would be known as nothing more than a very talented malcontent. Mm Mm-hmm. And he wins championships not because he is a great player, but not because he's Kevin Durant and he single-handedly carries teams to championships. He's winning championships because he's a great player who joined an already great dynasty of a team. If he was playing for a team that wasn't the Golden State Warriors, the perception of Kevin Durant would be very, very different. And I think a byproduct of that was people reflecting on the KD Westbrook situation and going, Maybe maybe Westbrook wasn't the bad guy in that. Maybe maybe he wasn't the problem in that whole equation. But okay, personality wise, we're finding out a lot of things about Kevin Durant. Super thin skinned and right. obviously overly sensitive and maybe a bit uh, selfish in certain ways. But Russell Westbrook, in terms of being a teammate on the court, all right, just being a teammate on the court. I'm going to give you Exhibit A why he would drive me absolutely crazy and why I would want nothing to do with him if I were Kevin Durant. The last two seasons, and it was less when Durant was there because Durant would get his shots, but the last two seasons in the playoffs, Russell Westbrook has averaged more shots per game than Michael Jordan did in his playoff career. Michael Jordan's the greatest scorer in the history of the modern NBA. Maybe people would say Will Chamberlain, but in terms of guard play in the modern NBA, Michael Jordan is 1A, B, and C. But the grain of salt with that statistic is that the game has changed and the amount of shots being taken overall in a game is up compared to when Michael Jordan played, right? But if you're Russell Westbrook and you're shooting 38% in those games and you're shooting the ball 30 times, that shows an amazing lack of self-awareness. So I do... People kind of say, I push back on the people who say, man, Russell Westbrook, if you could only get Russell Westbrook some help, he's had Kevin Durant, James Harden, he's had um, Paul George, like he's had some really good players by his side. And instead of looking around and, and seeing, okay, how can I maybe set some of these other guys up? He says, I'm going to shoot 30 times in a playoff game at a 38% clip over a six game series. So, like, I don't know. I think Russell Westbrook is properly celebrated. I don't think he needs to be celebrated more. I think he's properly celebrated. He's a fun, really good, multifaceted player who puts up fun numbers in the box score and will do nothing in the postseason. Do you think he makes his teammates better? No. I don't. I don't see how you're not making your teammates better averaging a triple-double. If you made your you're teammates better... You're inherently doing the things that make your teammates better. You're, 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 the assists mean that you're creating for guys on your team. You're leading to them... 
scoring points, the rebounds. I mean, to say that the guy is hunting rebounds and saying it like it's a bad thing is ridiculous to me because what do you always hear about rebounds? Rebounds are want to. Rebounds are desire. You have to want that ball to be a good rebounder. I don't care if he's doing it for triple doubles or he's doing it to help his team. He wants that ball as bad as anybody on that court wants that ball. I wish more players would take that mindset. He he inherently makes his team and his teammates better by filling up the box score that he does on a night-in, night-out basis. Not a good shooter, and maybe he should shoot less, but I could find a hole in just about anybody's game except for LeBron James. His team, for sure. I think he tends to suck the life out of the roster. I think that's why Kevin Durant left. I think people look at him, teammates look at him, and maybe it'll be different this year because he has scaled back on the shooting this year, and so mm-hmm. maybe maybe this is the year where like Mike, the, Michael Jordan had an aha moment when Phil Jackson got to him in the late '80s, and Phil Jackson said, "You can do one of two things: you can lead the league in scoring every single year and score 38 points, and and be the greatest." And he, it's funny because he wound up still being the greatest scorer of all time by scaling back and getting his teammates involved. Um, I hear what you're saying. You're saying, well, a guy gets 10 or 11 assists every single night, so he must be making his teammates better. And I see a dude who has sucked the life out of multiple rosters and can't win a playoff series without Kevin Durant. Durant, so. Durant now, in retrospect, left, left for the exact same or left for the exact reason that he's been ripped on for going, which is he looked at his situation and he said, I can't win by myself. I need stars with me. Westbrook. Westbrook is well, Westbrook was a star, is not right? no no but I'm saying he said I need Golden State like Uns- like he's he, unselfish star he he looked but he said I need a lot of them I need I or, need to be propped up Westbrook's fault and, and what's not likable about him is his fault on the court too which is he is never going to believe that he can't win by himself which he probably can't but Durant I think now in retrospect a lot of people were right on Durant which is he looked and said I need a team of all-stars because that's how I'm going to to win. Now, the guy I would throw back into this conversation then is Harden. Now, Harden playoff success-wise is what? Got, got to the conference finals on team with Chris Paul last year got hurt, they didn't make it. Harden scores a ton of points, Harden's a nice player, but is but has James Harden done something by himself or come close by himself besides statistically to being a, a great player, especially when it gets the most important yeah. time of year which is the spring. Harden is a Harden and Westbrook are a little bit similar in that they're just like both in sort of bull in a china shop mode, but Harden is a much more efficient, better offensive player than Russell Westbrook is. Westbrook is a pure volume scorer. He's a he gets to the rim and converts at a high rate, but anything outside of that is mostly just like he needs thirty shots to get points. Th- that Rockets team would have won the championship if Chris Paul didn't get hurt. If they would have hit one extra three pointer in Game Seven, right, they missed twenty seven. But what? Chris Paul was out and they didn't. So what? Harden couldn't do it, but by himself they went zero for twenty seven from three. Yep, if I know. Hit, I'm well aware. Of that. I know. I'm well if aware. Of that. Didn't one, you go zero for twenty seven from? No, three I think seven? I went over twenty eight. I'm oh, saying, okay. I'm saying that James Harden is a better player than Russell Westbrook. He's a more efficient offensive player than Russell Westbrook, and probably would probably would have proved himself to be a championship player if not for an injury to Chris Paul at in Game Seven or Game Six, or if. One of the bleep and roll players could have hit a corner three once in the third quarter. They would have won game seven. That's what I'm saying. I think if we're out on the playground and I'm a captain and we're picking teams and James Harden and Russell Westbrook, are, I think I'd take Russell Westbrook over James Harden. In a playground game? Whatever kind of basketball game you want to talk about. 
Okay. I think I'd, I think I'd take Westbrook it's over an James Harden. You can, you, can build, you can build a brick house over in your side of the court. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting and conversation. I'll, a, I'll splish splash in my pool with James Harden over here. I mean, just just one quick thing on this, and we're going to wrap with Roycey. Um, and this is I, I get that I'm now I'm hunting uh, statistics, and there's other elements that go into this besides just the stack game. But Russell Westbrook is shooting 41 percent this season on 19 shots a game. James Harden is shooting. 45% on 24 shots. So, and he's a better three point shooter. Uh, James Harden he's a better shoots three, yes. 13 threes a game at a near 40% clip. And they both pass and rebound fairly similarly when they want to. He's a better when they want to. That's the key. Russell Westbrook just wants to every night. To your point, it feels like we celebrate Harden on almost a nightly basis and we look for reasons not to do it with Westbrook, which I find intriguing. Okay. And one of them, and one of them, would almost won the NBA championship last year, and the other one watched the last month and a half yeah. playoffs from home. But he didn't. <laughs> and he travels constantly. Maybe it's Paul George's fault. I don't know. James Harden travels constantly too. They both travel a lot. I'd they? call him. Did on, you on see who was it last night that took five blatant steps? It oh, was, Beal, Bradley Beal. Yes, yes, it's the gather step, Rami. No, no, no. It was. It's <laughs> no. The the officials came back this morning and said it was legal because he lost possession of the ball and oh. got it back. No, they didn't really try to explain this, did they? Yes. Oh my! It's on ESPN.com. He lo- He ran with the ball, lost possession, picked it back up, and ran again. And just, they said because it was two different sequences. It wasn't a travel. Just say you missed the call. You clearly missed the call. I think call. originally they did, and then they took it back and said, no, we were right. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, Mackie and Jeff with Rami on the all-new Score North on 1500 from the TCL studios. We wrap with Royce. Climb 53 or 105 floors of the Capella Tower in downtown Minneapolis on February 16th for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's 2019 Big Climb Minneapolis. You can help fight blood cancer and join Team Mackie for only $15. Join us at scorenorth.com, keyword climb now. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks to everyone who has donated uh, to this point. And I uh, did a little Stairmaster session this morning, boys. How, How many, many floors? floors? Didn't die. Okay, well, <laughs> I did 120 floors, but then I found out that the Stairmaster may have inaccurate floor counts. How is that? That it's only 10 steps per floor on the Stairmaster, but that actual buildings, it's more like 16 steps per floor hmm. or maybe 20. Hmm. So, Does that make you nervous for if you're little, ready or not? Yeah, I've been I've been pacing at a certain so point. late in the ball game. <laughs> I still have a couple days. I can I can. <laughs> Did someone tip you off? This? How'd Guys, you find we've got out? Stairmaster Gate. It is Stairmaster Gate. Yeah. How'd you find out Pat, so late, Pat? Do you want to fly back in and do fifty three stories? Uh, cli- climb the Capella Tower. Climbing. Uh, I got a climbing of a building story for you. All Perfect. Right. The bride and I were in Paris. Uh, the first time we were in Paris. And we went to the Cathedral of Notre Dame, which was, I believe, built in the 1200s. So there was no elevator uh, in the the 1200s. And uh, people would walk up to get up to the tower. And this stairwell that was built, and it's out of, you know, stone of some kind, was built for people who were 5'4 and weighed, 120 pounds back then, you know, little tiny guys, 1,200, and uh, I was, I got in there, and I was full-figured, completely full-figured, <laughs> and I think she was over 80 steps at least, you know, it was 80, 90 steps, I'm, I'm not sure how many, 
And uh, I got about 12 steps up, and I said, this isn't going to work. And I turned around and started pushing my way back down. Oh, no. <laughs> this thing. I think I, I, I did not uh, I did not even make a – well, I figured if I didn't turn around now, uh, they would be climbing over my dead body in about 40 <laughs> steps. So, so was the passageway uh, just too short for you? What exactly was – what? No, I knew I wasn't going to make it. I'm making it <laughs> out of shape. Okay. Claustrophobic. All right. All those, all those things that you want. And it wasn't – it wasn't – made for modern fatties it was made made for little tiny guys you know back then the average height was about five you played center on a basketball team you were you were bugsy pokes would have been a pivot (laughs) you should have been very upset discrimination against fatties (laughs) well you know what you it's kind of hard to tell them yeah you got to make this uh you got to make the cathedral of notre dame uh, handicapped accessible. You know, I, I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can make that demand on something that was built. I think it was the 1200. So anyway. I didn't know you were claustrophobic too. Uh, well, generally I'm not, but <laughs> in this case, yeah. Cause when your arms are hitting the side of the wall, you yeah. know, you get a little <laughs> get stuck. <laughs> It was not. It was not good. And then we ended up going to Sacre Coeur, which is the other one that sits up on the hill. Was Great Oak Cathedral, much more by you know. I don't know when that was, like seventeen hundred or something. But so this time, you know, you're, you're climbing up outside steps. So humped up those maybe sixty, seventy steps, and then we find out there's a, one of those, you know, walker. There's a walk. A moving walk that takes you up the hill after we uh, after we hauled up that hill, and I damn near killed myself crawling up there. So, <laughs> hey, my advice: if you go to Paris, don't walk up the Cathedral of Notre Dame. And okay. B, if you go to Sacre Coeur, take the moving walk. Don't walk up the steps. Okay, I get, we we Noted. can get that. Now, I heard your. I was actually listening out here on the deck to your uh, Westbrook Harden discussion. And I was thinking, I agree with you, Phil. Harden's a much better offensive player. But, B, wouldn't have it been something if they had decided that Durant was the guy they couldn't sign and that Russ Westbrook and, a, and they had given Harden the big contract and he wasn't as big a wussy as uh, Durant was and had to leave, being the hypersensitive jackass that Durant is. And uh, if they had those two guys playing in the same backcourt, that would be fun, wouldn't it? It would be, yeah. It would be. I mean, it would be interesting to see how they played. It would be interesting if Russell could handle that. That he was the ball handler and Harden was scoring forty-two a game. That would be interesting. Though. Divvying uh, up the shots would be interesting between those two. Just think, though, that guy was like the six. He wasn't starting for that team when they traded him. He was sixth man. Harden, it's a. He's the best shooter I ever saw. But uh, yeah, yeah, you guys also brought up the Bradley Beal. Uh, travel. Yeah. Here's what's here's what's interesting about the referees defending themselves. Look at the thing. Before he ever bobbles the ball, he has taken four steps. Yep. Yeah. And then he takes two more. They're explaining as though he, he he took two steps. He took fully four steps. Then he bobbled the ball and took three more. It was seven steps. Uh, so even if you say it was a fumble and he didn't lose possession. He had traveled by a step and a half before 
he ever got to the fumbling the ballpark. It's unbelievable. Uh, and that, but the NBA referees are the most thin-skinned jackasses ever. They never. They always send out these notices defending themselves. It, have you noticed that that it's the referees' association that does it, not the league? When they, the referees' association hates that two-minute report that they do yep. to tell you about whether what they got right and what they got wrong. So now the referees' association sends out these uh, things, uh, protect you know defending themselves on virtually every call. Yeah. I've never been offended by, like, people get mad about traveling in the end. I can't watch basketball because they never call traveling. No, no. It's like, yeah, it's... I, I, I think it's okay, you know, their two and a half step rule was fine. That they, yeah, it, that was egregious. It's okay that they give, a, they, it's okay that they give, give them a step more than they do in college basketball, but you, I don't think you should get four. You know, four kind of takes the the dribbling out of the, you know, dribbling to me has always been a, an asset a basketball player should have. And uh, when, when they allow you to just run with it, it kind of takes kind of the fun out of it. So. The thin-skinned guys now, Patrick, the hockey refs, the hockey, you can't oh, talk to them. Complaining about? What you can't talk to them. You can't, you know, the, the old days when, when Glenn oh, sure. would jump up on the bench and take a player's stick and slam it and demand the referee come and explain it now. Now the the refs avoid the bench at all costs, and Boudreaux tries to get guys' attention sometimes, but they won't. They basically, it's gotten to the point now where you, you're afraid that you're going to get a penalty, and so guys are afraid what, to talk what, to them. Do we, do we know what started this? According to Louie, it started when a player reported a, an official for basically telling him to bleep himself back, and they said, okay, oh. if we can't have it both ways, then you can't talk to us. Oh, okay. All right. No fun. Okay. And so that was this, that occurred this year? Then? No, no, no. Years ago, and for years now, it's oh, no. been, for years they've, been boring. Well, I mean, but they haven't gotten to the point where they call too many bench penalties until it, it seems to me they're calling more of those unsportsmanlike now this year. That there's, it, it seems to me there's something new that has happened. Well, that, you know, I want the old days back. This year. I want oh, I yeah. want the F-bombs flying both ways and no penalties. That's yeah. what I want. I want I want Bill Haller and Earl Weaver exchanging insults in first base. That's what I want. I mean, that's, you know, the baseball has gotten, you know, kill the up. That's Part of the tradition of the game. That's another thing missing from baseball is, uh, you know, the heckling and the screaming at umpires, and there was nothing they could do about it except throw you out of the game. I'm excited for the heckling of the electronic strike zone at some point. It's going to be a lot of fun. Exactly. (laughs) That pop-up slide, he's out! Let's get get something else that might take a little longer. Okay. You know what, Phil? (laughs) As, as, As the technology guy that you are the worst thing that ever happened to every sport there is is replay that 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 replay review that i mean the worst thing that ever happened to baseball is when they started judging the umpires by the computerized strike zone because now if it's the seventh inning and it's 12 to 2 we still got to have them actually try to call balls and strikes instead of saying boys you better swing the bat Actually, that's a good. That's a good point. I, there, maybe there's a, a point in games where if it's an eight-run lead or more, you turn it off and you're just at the mercy of whatever Joe West wants to call Everybody at that point. Everybody turns into John Hirschback. <laughs> Everybody turns into Eric Craig. Levon Hernandez at the ball. Yes. Oh, that was a 
damnedest thing I've ever seen. That was uh, that was Naked Gun, basically. Is I covered Eric that game. Oh, really? We, we asked, yeah, I was at that game. We asked Eric Gregg to come into the come into the news uh, the room, you know, the press conference room, and he thought he was going to be. People were calling him in to interview him about Levon's great game, and all of a sudden. It was, Eric, what in the hell was the matter with you? And he got very offended, very upset. Rami, have you seen the, uh, the the 1997 NLCS worst game called in history by Eric Gregg, the home plate umpire? I don't recall it. Okay, we're going to we're gonna show you this live as we uh, as we talk about it. Well, so this, these are some well, of the strikes that were being called by Eric Gregg. Okay. I'm not they put the strike zone on the screen. What? <laughs> oh, <Chris. laughs> what? Oh, Pat, my somebody, God. Somebody on YouTube, Pat, put the K zone on the screen and oh, showed yeah. it back. It's well, hilarious. the worst part was Levon was a sharp kid, you know. So Levon threw wow. a curveball, and it was like five inches off the plate, and Greg called it a strike. So he said, <laughs> well, hell, I'll throw on eight inches off the plate. <laughs> Greg called it a strike. And... He had, I bet he had 40 curveballs called strikes that never, that were not strikes before they started to break. You know what I'm saying? They were off the plate, and then they started to curve. You couldn't have hit them with a paddle. But you it know what? That's the Braves it, getting a, a taste of their own medicine, because how long were Smoltz and Maddox oh, and Glavin getting three, four inches off the end of the plate? Yeah, but this is three, four feet a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's an umpire with somewhere to be. Yeah. Uh, Pat, we uh, we're up against the clock here, but let's. Uh, we definitely should. We should do like an old umpire in history story series with you here. We should like pick. We should do old umpire week and just do that five days when baseball season gets here. Oh yeah, we got a couple. Uh, we can tell you a couple about uh, uh, when the uh, the umpire feud at the Metrodome that. Sid and I almost through the came to blows over it. Yeah, that's we'll have to talk about. That. All right, write it down for tomorrow. We'll do this tomorrow. Okay. All right, see you, Pat. See you. All right, you can find. By the way, Roycey, every Monday, you and Roycey Judd sit down and do Roycey Unchained. And find it right now. You can search and subscribe anywhere you'd find podcasts. Mackie and Judd with Rami also on demand at scorenorth.com. S K O R North.com.